cliffcentral.com. Bruce Fordyce is, of course, a prominent South African athlete. Everybody knows his name, his extraordinary achievements in ultramarathon running, particularly his nine wins at the Comrades Marathon. Uh, he's an absolute legend. It's a great pleasure to have him on the show this morning, and it's lovely to talk to you. So here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Bruce Fordyce. Nice <laughs> to see you, Bruce. Thank you, Gareth. You can introduce me a few more times. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's not difficult. I mean, you you know, you have this um, this unbelievable, unparalleled status in South Africa for the the things that you've achieved there. Um, do you, do you ever get irritated when people bring up that stuff? You you don't seem like one for nostalgia, but it's. I mean, this is not stuff you want to ignore, right? Um, no, no, no. I never, I never get irritated. I mean, listen, I've got to, You know, it, it's. Uh, it's a, a wonderful time in my life when I was uh, running well and winning comrades and things like that. Um, and uh, yeah, if people want to remind me of it. I'm, I'm always happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I remember watching you winning these things and just thinking this guy's like some kind of superhuman. And um, I think a lot of people still think that of you. And I know that you've been very involved with Parkrun in South Africa, which is such a success and people are just loving it. I mean, I've got friends of mine have been trying to talk me into it for the longest time. But you know, my motto, Bruce, is that only the evil man runneth when nothing is chasing him. <laughs> yeah. So, so to go back to your original point, I mean, you know, I'm not that super gifted. I chose my parents correctly. That's, that's the key. It's genetic. Yeah. And all right. over the all over the, the world, there are people who chose their parents correctly and to, to do various sporting things. I mean, the other day I was uh, uh, in one of those buses that I, you get off, the, you get off the, the plane and you get into one of those buses that takes you to the terminal. And I was mm-hmm. standing to Bucky's Boerter. <laughs> that was Jeez. quite incredible because Bucky's is three times my size. And I realized then that sport in many ways at the highest level is genetically predetermined. You know I mean? doesn't matter how passionate I was, how desperately I wanted to play rugby. Um, I'm just simply, <laughs> I'm too small. You know, that's, and I mean, Bucky's, his, his fingers he's are a so monster. Small. Yeah. Yeah, he's huge. And uh, yeah, and sorry, and just to go to your other point, yeah, so parkrun now is my passion. Um, I, I'm really enjoying that, uh, trying to spread it as much as possible. We took a, we took a catastrophic knock during two years of lockdown, oh, but yeah. uh, we, we're repairing the damage and we're surging on. You know, it's, I look back on that whole period with lockdown and the stupid, stupid decisions that were taken by people who are completely out of their depth and who were just doing, making decisions and, and making calls that, that were, in retrospect, some of the worst calls possible, but just because they didn't want to be accused of having done nothing and ended up doing more damage anyway. I, I think um, I'm even more cynical than that, Gareth. I think, think that some of those people enjoyed the little bit of power they were given yeah. at that time. Oh, yeah. They were given power. Very little people were given power in which they could tell you what to do when they couldn't normally ever be allowed to get away with that kind of behavior. By creating fear and, 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 uh, and obedience, they could get us to do stuff that, you know, I, mean, I can tell you right now, Gareth, I'm not doing it again. <laughs> oh, hell no. No, no. Me, I'm so glad to hear that, Bruce, because really the people, all the people I respect have just said exactly what you've said. And I think about like uh, some lady at the shops once who said to me, where's your mask? And I thought you, I, I thought you, how dare you? I, you wouldn't have the temerity to even talk to me 
outside yeah. of COVID and suddenly you think you're the policeman for the shopping mall. It's ridiculous, right? And yeah. I mean, with you, so with Parkrun, they actually told you you couldn't do them at all because I remember they said we couldn't run in. I mean, this is probably the, yeah. hel- the healthiest thing for people to do is to keep up their cardiovascular health, to do exercise, and they decided that was too much of a risk. You know, Gareth, um, right in the very beginning, during those first really severe five weeks or whatever, um, when the president put us into, you know, those family meetings, oh, I think mm-hmm. about filled with, <laughs> filled with dread. Um, I started running up and down the sanitary lane outside our house because I was doing laps of my garden which yeah. was 42 laps to get a 5K. So I thought if I go up and down the sanitary lane at 5 o'clock in the morning, yeah. uh, I can get another 300 meters up and down without, you know, just make it a little bit more interesting. And those of us, there were a few of us who were doing that kind of thing, received a letter from our counselor, whose name I won't give you, saying, please, it has come to my attention. Please do not have to force me to report you to the police. And it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. Well, and, and I mean... Well, Parkrun, Gareth. I mean, there were no, there was no comrades for two years, no comrades marathon. Yeah. And you know, there's only been two occasions when the comrades has not been held uh, in its history. One was because of tyranny, when the comrades shut down because people went to war to fight tyranny, and that right. was during the Second World War. And the second time, I'm ashamed to say, was that comrades succumbed to tyranny and allowed yeah. itself to be locked down. We should have gone ahead and won. But anyway, well, I think next time we've learned from this. Some people obviously have realized that you know they they're happy to take instruction and do what the government tells them. But the rest of us have realized it'll never happen again. You've got to hope in hell, and our middle fingers will go up quicker than you guys can get the police round to our houses. And I think also neighborhoods will stand together like they did during those riots, um, rather than the way that we cowed to everyone during COVID. But you know, I, I think about what you're doing with Park Run, which is such a good idea. We've got such lazy, lethargic, fat people in this country that honestly need to get up off their backsides and do some exercise. And I think of all the people you've inspired to do these things, because parkrun is for, is for everyone and it's fun. It's not something that needs equipment. It's not something that needs uh, a, a gym membership. And I think about all the people who I know have done it, who are feeling so much better about themselves, who are getting out there, exploring beautiful parts of various cities. And, and it's really a great thing that you've done. No, well, thank you. It's not. It, it's not me, um, Gareth. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm, you alone, but yes, yeah, it's a wonderful team of the most incredible people, volunteers who give their time for nothing. You know, I thought when the idea was first mooted of parkrun in South Africa, I thought it would fail because I thought South Africans won't volunteer. And my experience mm. of that was 2010. I went to the football World Cup, went to a few yeah. of the games, and there were volunteers and in inverted commas. But they were people who were given a T-shirt and a, and a hamburger and a cold drink and, you know, that, that kind of thing. So, yes, it was volunteering, but not quite the same. And I'm happy to report that I was proved incredibly wrong. And we have the most amazing volunteers who come out. Um, and, yeah, the beauty of it, I think, is that it is for everyone. So mm. you, can, you can be an elite fast runner and run – 5Ks in 15 minutes, which is flying. But you can also be, and I've invented this character, Tani Labaskachni, at the back, and you take an hour and 15 minutes, and you are equally as important to us as the first finisher is. And in fact, we use the terminology first finisher 
because we don't like to talk about winning at a park run. So it's first finisher right. and end finisher and a hundredth finisher. Um, and all we ask you to do is to print a little paper barcode and bring it along. Um, I've got a fancier one on my wrist here. It's like a little, I never take it off for fear that I'll forget my barcode. You bring that along. Um, <laughs> yeah. You bring that along and it gets scanned as you cross the finish line and you get your result. And I have honestly never seen anything more addictive. People get <laughs> so addicted to parkrun. And I've realized that, it, yes, it's the exercise is one part of it. Um, but in fact, it's more about communities, Gareth. It's more about people can't wait to see each other on a Saturday morning, go for a walk or a run, yeah. and then go for breakfast and coffee afterwards. And if I had to think of one adjective to sum up parkrun, it would be the word happy. It's a happy yeah. place. People are smiling when they get to parkrun, and they they can't wait to see each other. So, yeah, it's been amazing. We have gone from 26 people pitched up at our first parkrun at Delta Park in November 2011, and now we are 1.4 million registered members Gee, and growing, growing every week by about 1,500 to 2,000 more people. Fantastic. Now, I mean, you know, you talk about that sense of community. Again, how dare anybody interrupt that with this nonsense COVID stuff that we had. But also, you're helping people to be fitter. It's something I care about tremendously. I always get into trouble for saying rude things about fat people. But I do think if you take your, if you take your heart seriously, and most South Africans succumb either to TB or heart disease, those are the two biggest killers in the country. And you can do something about that right now. Um, I'm not speaking as a an ultra marathon runner. I mean, I wouldn't be able to do I wouldn't be able to do three kilometers without falling down. But I do try to keep myself in reasonable shape, and I think running is just the greatest way for people to do this. Again, it doesn't have to cost you a lot of money. Well, Gareth, in my other life, I was actually uh, an archaeologist, and I taught uh, I taught archaeology at Wits University. I specialized in in Bushman San rock art, but I can tell you that. Um, the human being is actually the greatest running creature on the planet. And people will say, what are you talking about? A cheetah is much faster and, and you know, and a, a lion is much stronger or whatever. But mm -hmm. we have this unique ability, almost unique, to be able to run almost nonstop without stopping. And we could sweat, which cools us down. And we also could, could work a bit like a pack, a bit like a a pack animal in order to hunt down animals in the early stages of our time on this planet, we ran animals to exhaustion and ate them, you know, killed mm -hmm. them and ate. Them. And, and we still have that within us. We have the most incredible springs and, um, and, and joints and things, uh, ligaments and tendons that help us to run beautifully. We've just forgotten how to do it. Um, and so I, I love parkrun from that point of view, but again, I, I want to illustrate a point really, really emphatically, and that is that you are welcome to come to a park run and walk the whole way. You know, mm. I, um, in November, Gareth, I slipped on some jacaranda flowers. Um, you know, they form this brown sludge at the corner of the roads, and I, it was raining, mm. and I slipped on some jacaranda flowers, and I broke my leg. And a couple of weeks later, when my broken bone had healed a little bit, I was quite happy to come along to a park run, and toddle along at the back with a person who we call the tail walker, by the way. So we have a tail walker at the back whose yeah. job it is, is to monitor that there's nobody's fallen and twisted their ankle or something like that. But most importantly of all, to ensure that you can never come last because the tail oh, walker. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I walk with the tail walker 
for a couple of weeks with a broken leg until I could start hobbling and then running again. That's fantastic. Um, uh, just on the, on the science of running, because you really are one of the few people in the world who I take seriously about these kinds of things. I hear often from people that, oh no, running is terrible for your knees and it's terrible for your ankles and it's bad for you. Is that a, is that a fact for all people or is that something because people have a bad technique for running, they wear the wrong shoes, they, they, they don't bounce on, the, on the, the right point of their foot? I mean, like, how, does, how does that make sense? Because must I disregard those people completely, Bruce? Look, I think excessive running. So I would be lying if I didn't tell you that I've got a really dodgy right knee. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I've run more than 200,000 kilometers since I started. Yeah. My, first, my first run was five minutes around the Bits Rugby Fields, 10 minutes around the Bits Rugby Fields, sorry, 10 minutes around the Bits Rugby Fields in June 1976. And, after, and, I, and I've kept going since then. So, yes, there's been a price to pay. I've got a a bad right knee. I'm still carrying on. I'm not going to stop. Um, and I think what, what it is is to be sensible, you know, to to be sensible with, with your running. Don't do what I did, which is like 30 comrades marathons, 32 two oceans, <laughs> and all of them flat out. Um, and, and, and I don't know, 300 ordinary marathons and whatever. Uh, but, in, but enjoy it. But I, I know for sure that... Uh, if I had to stop, even now that I'm slow and I hobble quite a bit, I would be I would go demented. Um, and it's just about making sure you've got make sure you've got good supportive running shoes. Go and see one of the experts to help you get kitted out, and then just enjoy it. Um, and yeah, don't do what I did, which is far too much. Well, I mean, you say that, but I think for a lot of people, you are the inspiration. And by the way, for for those who don't know, I mean, you did London to Brighton as well. You did yeah. Sydney to Melbourne. I mean, you've done these all over the world. Um, yeah, I haven't done a Sydney to Melbourne yet, but uh, but uh, oh, but yes, London to Brighton. No, London to Brighton, and a host of races around the world. Um, and I've loved it. I've, I, if I look back on it, strangely enough, um, the winning has been the least important thing. The greatest thing has been the gift it's given to me to my life, expanding, you know, traveling, um, seeing mm. the world. Uh, and most importantly, making great, great friends. Because I think yeah. quite often in sport, and particularly in running, it's a great leveler because you can be the hero one day and, and be winning, but you know, two weeks later you get hammered. <laughs> so it's it's more about the friendships and the camaraderie and 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 the great adventures that running has can give one. I mean, I I do also remember that people were really interested in your preparation for for these marathons and and what kind of stuff you would eat what sort of you you paid attention to this incline or that decline or where you had to put in most of the energy and where you could ease off a little bit i mean are you still are you still being asked these questions by people and and do you do things like help other marathon runners to get their eating right and all the rest of it yeah i mean i'm still heavily in demand to give um Comrades talks in particular. Okay, things sure. things things quieten down now because Comrades was June the eleventh. So I have a kind of a, like a fairly quiet um, six months now. But come January, we kick off again with another one. I'm the guest speaker for so many running clubs and sure. I don't know interviews and things. And 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 if I can be nakedly and unashamedly commercial, just give me a second. Go ahead, absolutely. This is what we got you on for. <laughs> don't be afraid to plug things. Go ahead. Yeah, this is the best book ever written. Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 um, correct. 
uh, on how to run your first comrades based right. on a really good role model myself. And so it's what I there did. It's what I did to run my first comrades. And my first comrades, Gareth, was not uh, was not a was not a win. I was a student at university. Uh, running was like fourth on the list of priorities. You know, I think I, I, I think partying, uh, having a lot of fun, uh, uh, doing enough work just to pass my degree so I could have another year. That sounds <laughs> like me. Yeah, yeah, that, and 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 uh, running was like low down, but it. But I finished my first comrades, and so this rather pretentious title, Wing Messenger, sounds like a really pretentious title for a book. No, I love it. But it's called Wing Messenger because the logo, the little badge on the comrades badge, which funny enough I've got here, this logo, that's Hermes, the Wing Messenger of Gods. And so um, I say to people that Hermes was a unique uh, god in that he was he was the god of the roads appropriately, but he was also the uh, the, uh, the God who had the unique power of being able to travel from the past to the present and back and to go into Hades and take messages to your loved ones um, in the other world. And so I always say to and, comrades, and the, when, 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 they're running, when they're running their first comrades, I always say to the person you will be after you finish comrades is not the same person you were before. You will have changed forever. Um, and so that's why I call it Wing Messenger. Not it just thought that would be a better title than how to run your first comet. But no, anyway, it's, it's, it's done quite well. So as you said, I'm still in demand, and I suppose it's because, um, yeah, I've got, a, I've got a good record at Comrades. Um, oh, Bruce, you, and I mean, I, you, you, don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to say that. I'll say it for you. There just isn't anyone else who comes to mind when I think of the Comrades, despite years and years and years of really good winners, tremendously talented athletes, people who are associated with the Comrades in ways and means that I won't even understand as a casual observer. But when I think of the Comrades, I think of Bruce Fordyce. That's, it's that simple. Oh. And Hermes was also the god, by the way, of mischief. Which is funny. Yes, yes because, yeah, which uh, is funny. Yeah, yeah there we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you're very kind, but actually, funny enough, um, uh, there's a runner, Elena Nogalieva, uh, a Russian runner who's won eight comrades, so only one fewer than me. Uh, mm-hmm. But where I have great advantages in terms of being asked to be a speaker is that she lives in Russia and her English is not very good. So, so, so I get the word. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it is funny to me that the comrades um, this year was a little bit different. I think um, a South African woman won it, but there's so many of these uh, these women from Russia who end up winning it. And of course, Russia and the Ukraine are having a pretty shitty time at the moment. So uh, I wonder if that isn't to our advantage for our local runners. Perversely, the war has helped South Africans. Um, Possibly, but you know, I mean, there's... uh... Uh, Morozova, just for a second, her first names escape me. She won mm-hmm. 2022. There's a Russian who won in 2022. She was fifth this year. So the Russians are there. I just think that our women particularly have upped their game. And um, and our men as well. Um, you know, if I look at Gerda Stein, I mean, it is mm-hmm. what she did this year. It's just mind-boggling. To put things into perspective, um, she ran Five hours and 44 minutes, something like that, to break for Thunderbird's record. Okay, it was a slightly shorter course, and that right. and it was perfect running conditions. But in 1980, Gareth, I ran five hours and 40 minutes, and I came second in comrades. So Gerda in 1980 
would have been breathing down my neck. I would have just held, I would have held her off, but only just, you know, and in 1980, I finished second. You know, Alan Robb won that year, but I finished second. And she was, if you had told me in 1980, Bruce, the next person into the Finnish stadium is going to be a lady called Geda, I would have said you are absolutely yeah. out of your mind. No possible way. It'll be a man. It'll be a guy. And, uh, and look what she's done. Just be careful. You might be opening up a, uh, an opportunity for the transgender activists to start getting involved in this conversation and say, oh, well, there's no difference. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that stuff because it's so controversial in America at the moment. And, you know, there are these, these men who have, in inverted commas, transitioned to women who are now you know, like beating up women in the boxing ring and swimming yeah, against I'm them. And I think it's so unfair. I, I, I would not be proud of myself, that, to be quite no. honest. You know, I, and what's interesting, there's been no transgendering the other way. There are no, no. women going and deciding they want to be rugby springboks. No. You know? Yeah, it's always, it's always guys who come in the middle somewhere in terms of their yeah. results. Yeah. And, and, you know, whatever, if that's what you, if you want to change, that's fine. But to go and compete in women's sport, it, it just ruins it, I think. It spoils it. It, it really, those poor women, I would be making a massive stand if I was them. Against yeah, and I think, I think it's, you know, it's also incumbent on us guys to stand up for them too a little bit because yeah. it's, it's, it's men going and ruining this stuff. And we just shouldn't, we just shouldn't tolerate it. I mean, it's setting back uh, really, really talented female athletes. And I just thought it would be an interesting thing to throw in. Yeah. Since it's come but Sheba doesn't need any help. I can tell you that. No, she's no, she sounds phenomenal. Um, so, so how much time do you get outside of the, the busy schedule that you have of, of doing these talks and running the park run stuff? And, and, and I know you have other business interests too, but how much time do you get to actually just chill and, and you know, kind of relax and do your thing? Because you know, you, you've, you've earned the, the opportunity. You retired from running competitively uh, some time ago. But I'm sure that for you, there's also a busy social schedule. You have lots of friends you mentioned earlier. Um. Gareth, I'm, I'm I'm not wealthy in the in the monetary sense of the word, but I'm I'm rich beyond my dreams actually because I have such a great life, you know. And and getting involved with something like Parkrun, that's my that is actually my main job. I'm pay, paid a management right. fee to to make sure Parkrun happens. Uh, and so you know, for most days that's what I do. But but I'm free to do exactly things like this, like chat to you. Why? Because of, I'm promoting Parkrun when I'm talking sure. to you, you know and um, and to go and, and give the odd comrades talk or whatever, I, I write uh, if I write for six months from January to June, a comrades mm -hmm. column, advice column, because those are the critical months of the race. Uh, I do a lot of motivational speaking. I do some archaeological work still. I've actually got a talk. You do? Yeah, I've got a talk at the Origin Center in in um, the Origin Center in the Amerapeng in. In in um, October, the cradle, the cradle, yeah. Uh, by yeah. the way, do, do you do you have any interaction with Prof Lee Berger? Yes, I, I, oh. I went to a talk of his the other day, um, where he really blew our minds away with the, the possible origins and age of of uh, rock art that it could sure. be much much older. He's picked up some illustrations, some some very interesting thing in some uh, in a shelter in a cave that, wow, goes back a lot further than we thought. Um, so, yeah, I do that. And then um, what else do I do? <laughs> uh, I still run Sounds my... Like if, you, if you want me to be at my happiest, 
mm-hmm. take me to the bush, take me to the Kruger Park. Oh, um, wow. And absolutely admire. So my children said to me once, Dad, when you die, we're going to scatter your ashes on Polly Shorts, which is this horrendous hill at the end, of, at, towards the end of the uprun. It's a monster. <laughs> it's two kilometers long, and you yeah. only after you've run 80 kilometers. So I said to them, why would I want my ashes scattered on the place where I hurt the most on this planet, where I was under the most amount of pressure, where I was in real pain, trying desperately to hang on and win a comrade? I said, just take my ashes to some beautiful waterhole somewhere in the Kruger where there's a hippo and a a gray heron and some impala coming down to drink and dump me there. That's probably better. Well, just to, to go back to the rock art for a minute, I think it was Picasso who went to the Lasso Caves in France where there are those famous paintings. And he said quite prophetically, I mean, this is Picasso, the greatest artist perhaps of the 20th, 20th century. He said, we have learned nothing. We have moved not an inch forward from these paintings. That's how good he thought they were and how he saw the span of, of human artistic ability as being completely truncated. Would you agree with that? Well, they are magnificent. I mean, they are, you know, um, and also the caves, Altamira, there's a few in Spain and in France. Uh, unbelievable. But I'm going uh, to fly the South African flag here because I did the research. I did a lot of work. I worked as a research officer with, I think, the world's greatest genius on, on rock art uh, to, uh, globally, and that's Professor David Lewis Williams. He's an absolute right. genius. He's cracked the code of, of, of rock art. Um, and I can tell you quite, quite candidly that South African rock art is by far the most beautiful, the most detailed, and the most incredible in the world. It's better than those things. Yes, there are giant bison that are painted there. There are human hands where they've, they've, they've take, they put their hand and they've blown a blowtorch behind it, literally doing a Kilroy was here thing. But wow. our rock art, when you understand it and you see a painting of a, of a female eland on a rock face, and you can see her tail is twitching. Why? Because it's, it's, it's the mating season, and, and they knew that. And so that kind of um, – if you look at a, a, a rock art painting of a giant bull eland, and you can see the detail where they've even got the Adam's apple and the red hair that comes out of the Adam's apple and the hocks on the hooves and the red hair between the hoof and the horns – the detail is absolutely mind-boggling, and it's incredible. The sadness is, of course, that a lot of it's fading away, and that unfortunately, mm. people when they see rock art, they go and write across it. You know, course <sighs> loves body, right across the rock art, or they try and take it away, or they throw water on it to see it because it, it stands out more when you wet it. You can see the detail more, but um, yeah, that to me has been one of the great adventures of my life to, you know, rock art right up in the Drakensberg. Yeah. There's a, um, there's a rock called Fulton's rock, which is a giant boulder that fell off the face of the Drakensberg and rolled down. It's near, um, wow. Now I'm getting, now I'm getting old age. It's, it's, it's near um, giant's castle, but you've got to walk a long yeah. way that, that you've got to, and you've got to be an archeologist or a ranger to know where it is. And that thing is covered in the most beautiful rock art. You, you know, you, you, it takes your breath away. Or some of the cave and shelters near Barclay East and Freer and, and Rhodes and those kind, Lady Grey, those kind of places, beautiful. Bruce, are they, are, they still, are they still discovering new kind of work in, in, in yeah. the Drakensberg? Are they still finding occasionally some, some new art? 
Yes, they are. I mean, that was one of the things I did. I mean, I went for three mm. days with an archaeologist uh, down the Jochumsbreit River near Barclay East, and it, it's got these towering cliffs, cliffs on either side. So you have to go in at one end, and you're only going to pop out the other end, a bit like Deliverance, you know, three days later, <laughs> and, and uh, without the nightmare. You know, but um, and we we found a lot of stuff there that, um, and and photographed and traced some of it. Uh, and, uh, and how much do how line. much do we know? How much do we know about the people who painted this uh, these amazing well, scenes and, know, and these animals? Um, we 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 know a great deal because um, they hunter gatherers. They were hunter gatherers, and that is what we have been all our lives. And by the, by the way, that takes me back to my original point of parkrun. We mm-hmm. have forgotten to be hunter gatherers. We drive everywhere. We eat highly yeah. processed food. We are hunter gatherers, and we moved around looking for animals to hunt and for plant foods and things that we could eat, you know, in order to stay alive. And, and we, we've, we have forgotten to do that. So one of the things we can do is, sadly, the modern San stroke Bushmen, and I'm never sure what they like to be called. Yeah, uh, so Khoisan, San, Bushmen. Yeah. Um, a, 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 dwindling, a dwind, dwindling people, sadly, um, who want many of, uh, understandably, many of the luxuries and things that we have. Um, but we, they, they no longer paint, oh, and importantly engrave. So there's also, uh, in places where there were not shelters, pe- uh, people engraved um, on, on boulders and on rocks and things. There's a fabulous collection of uh, rock engravings. Uh, um, I helped to, to build and create the Origin Center at Bits University, which is you can go and see rock art there. You can go and see the origins of culture, of technology, of of religious thinking, everything at the Origin mm. Center. Do yourself a favor. It's an incredible um, experience, wonderful learning experience. You can you can join in and, and watch a, a trance dance, a Bushman trance. But anyway, we we went to to chat to to some of the. This is many years ago, back in the 1980s. I went with Professor Tony Trail, the late Professor Tony Trail, sadly, who was a linguist um, mm-hmm. and was expert on expert on the San. Bushman languages. He could he could speak a couple of them, and he recorded the people because he, he would bring them to Vitz and then um, and then have them speak with instruments in their mouths and things like that. So he could measure because the language is unlike many others, all sorts yeah. of different things. And things. and that was that was a very eye opening experience. They could explain every painting to us. They could explain the meaning, but they really? no longer painted and they're no longer engraved. And, and do we have any ad- idea of the time? sort of span that these were painted over because I know that it's very, very hard to date some of these things. Obviously, where there are organic pigments, it's a little bit easier. But, yeah, but um, the painting by scraping off a bit of it. So you don't want to do that. Yeah, you um, don't want to do that, right? Yeah. Like, and I'm out of date. So back to Blombos Cave in the, in the, in the Cape, 75,000 years ago, there's, a, <sighs> there's an illet, there's a, um, a, a rock which has got zigzag crisscrosses a, across it, um, which is definitely a piece of art, and that's dated to 75,000. But now you mentioned Lee Berger. Lee is currently pushing back the boundaries of when we first started creating art, many hundreds of thousands of years now. Uh, you know, wow. You'd have to get him on your program to chat to you, but he, that goes back a long way now. So I think it, it's been uh, been with us all this time. And people... You see, people tend to see a picture of an eland and they say, oh, there's an eland and that's what the, the Bushman wants to, 
to hunt that animal and kill that animal. That's why it's painted there. It's not. And Elan painted there, and some of the things that are painted on the, on the rock faces are what medicine men see in trance. Mm -hmm. They dance themselves into a trance, and the zigzags on this particular rock are some of the things that flash across their faces as they go into a state of trance. And I've seen a Bushman trance dance where they dance round and round and round a fire at night, and then they collapse, and they bleed from the nose, and they, they see themselves quite often as some of the animals that are special to them, uh, that are spiritual, spiritual to them. So the best way I can illustrate it, because I'm not doing it well, is if you see a springbuck, it's an animal. But if sure. you see the same animal on Osturant's jersey, yeah. it means so much more. It right. means so much more. Yes, it's a springbuck, but now it's become a symbol. That's our sporting rugby heroes. Um, well, I, I used Osterunt as another example of somebody who's eight times my size. I met Osterunt. He's a monster. Yeah. He, he would throw me like a ball. <laughs> um, <laughs> he would throw me right across the length of the field. But so, that, so those things are sim, mean, mean so much more. And they are what the, the Bushmen in a transcendence often see themselves, uh, mm. particularly go to the Origin Center, you'll see themselves as theory-anthropic, half animals, half human creatures, and they paint them like that. So they will have a, an Elan's head, but very definitely a person's body um, yeah. with a long string coming out of, out of their head, which is their spirit, as they said, leaving the top of their head, boiling in their brain and leaving the top of their head and looking back down at themselves um, on the edge of the fire. And in that state, they heal each other. So when I was there, they, did, they danced and they healed a woman who had had a miscarriage. They placed their hands on her and they healed her. Hmm. This is extraordinary. You know, um, I, if, I, if I'd just thought about it beforehand, I would have said, well, we're going to talk about Parkrun for about two seconds, but I want to talk to you about anthropology and archaeology. Yeah. And, and this, is, this is fascinating stuff for anybody. I think, you know, it speaks to our very early origins as a species, yeah. our emergence from the savannah, um, this is the stuff that I think, you know, and people talk about these paleo diets and all the rest of it. And I suppose if we just paid attention to the already enormous corpus of knowledge around the way early humans behaved and these particularly hunter gatherers, I think we'd learn how to be a lot healthier too, don't you think? Well, I'm, I'm not fanatically paleo, but I definitely have moved that way. And, mm -hmm. and um, it's made a massive difference for me. Massive difference. Really? Yeah, that's, that's I, interesting. Um, Gareth, for me, I got in the, I'm talking 10 years ago, and for me, I got slightly porky. Uh, you know, I, I can't started, imagine. No, what, no, like no, you got, what, 4% body fat? No, no, but, but uh, you know, I used to race comrades at 55, 56 kgs, which Oof. is slightly on the heavy side. So Tete Dijana, who won this year's race, is 44 kgs. So I was wow. 56, 55. But then in my 40s, I sort of ballooned to a 70. I felt, I, I looked good because all your wrinkles pop out because they feel full of fat, you see. So you, no longer, you, don't, you don't have to go for Botox because yeah. you just get jumped. Right. Then yeah. one day I saw a photograph of myself emerging out of the waves where I'd been swimming in, in the sea. And I thought, wow, who's that rather chunky guy? And I suddenly realized, <laughs> no, that's me. That's me. And so... I got on the phone to my mate, Tim Noakes, and he said, Bruce, I, I regret to tell you, but at our age, you have to start watching what you eat. 
Yeah. And so I'm not fanatical. If I came to your place and you've made a huge pasta for mm-hmm. dinner or something, I'll eat it and by the way, I'll enjoy it. But the next yeah. time I'm on the program, and, and that means not no carbohydrates, but low carbohydrates and, uh, and especially cut out the junk ones. So probably the most but important. You never, you never said no to meat. No, no, I eat meat. No, 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 no. no it's meat. No, absolutely. We're hunter gatherers. With the yeah. emphasis on hunting, by the way, we only chewed on that root and and ate those bitter berries because at the time there was no, there was we couldn't catch something. Correct. Um, it was usually no. the slow pe- the slow people, not the fast runners like you, that could uh, subsist on that nonsense. But I mean, you, you you're talking about something. I think nobody gets a free pass, right? I mean, if Bruce Fordyce got a little bit uh, heavy during his 40s, then that's just a word of warning to anyone because people often think if you're a runner, you will always be in great shape and you've, you've never stopped running. Yeah, but and Gareth, here's the saying, which, it, which is really, really true. No amount of exercise can outdo a bad diet. No there amount. we go. So you have there to couple go. the two things together. And you don't have to be absolutely fanatical, but just you know, follow some basic sensible rules and 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 then you'll be all right i mean i'm a i'm a hypocrite because i really enjoy my wine and my my whiskey so there you go there's pure sugar nothing there. wrong with that yeah but no but listen yeah. you have to have some kind of pressure release i mean everybody if you don't have something that you can do well, in your off time i mean how boring would life be yeah there'd be nothing but darkness and confusion on the planet for me if there was winter without <laughs> a red wine Oh my God. Yeah. I'm with you on both fronts. So listen, one other quick thing, because you've met so many interesting people in your life and you said you've traveled to various corners of the world. Um, Are there, are there any people that you are really still hankering to meet? Is there anybody in the world that you think, wow, if, if someone could organize for me to meet this person, I'd fly there in a heartbeat. Uh, Bruce Springsteen. Really? I, I love his music. And I have a photograph in the, in the Belleville Velodrome. He was playing. And I just saw a consummate professional who is a billionaire who just wants to give everything he's got to his audience. He doesn't need the money. He's so rich. Yeah. And he yeah. turned to Miami Steve Fanzant, his, his guitarist, said, Steve, this is one of the smallest venues we've played in a long time. We're going to have a great time. And I was in the golden circle and he was shaking wow. hands with everyone. I've got a photograph reaching up, oh, shaking man. hands. Bruce meeting Bruce, but he didn't know. I mean, I was just a fan. I think wow. he would be. I'm trying to I just. I love his music, I, and, and you know, straight after I've spoken to Elliot Kipchoge, I'd like to yes. meet Elliot um, because Who's of his he? brilliant uh, uh, sub two hour marathon. You know, huh. uh, I've run a two seventeen, which a, a runner will tell you is quick, but he would have oh. had he would have finished seventeen minutes ahead of me. Um, yet I've had time for three beers before I got in. I mean, it's really depressing. <laughs> and, and, and if I, if I could, but sadly he's dead. I would love, I would love to have met Neil Armstrong, and say, what did it look like? What did it look like to see Earth, to Earth rise above the moon? And I cannot bear these people who said they didn't go. They went. Oh my God! Yeah, no, no, of and, course. And they went. And why would they do it seven times and have one that went wrong? And, and now we've got photographs of their footprints and they're about to go because yeah. Apollo's, no, twin sister, Apollo's twin sister Artemis will go shortly and the, woman, and the com- commander will be a woman. And finally, when you want to negate that argument, 
Guess who would have said they didn't go? Guess who was watching their every move and was as, as suspicious as possible? The, the Russians. Russians. Yeah. The Russians would have bust them left, right, and center. 100%. Instead, what the Russians did is said, well done, and they nominated him. They called him Sar Neil. They called him Sar Neil Armstrong. Well done. They just conceded. You guys got there. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, like you're quite right. Like that's irrefutable. And and I yeah. do, you know, I love a good conspiracy theory too, but I think there's got to be a line that we draw here. Oh, the flag was waving. That's the other one they say. The flag was waving. Oh, yeah. and there's no moon on the, they put chicken wire in the flag because they couldn't have the stars and stripes hanging down limp. They'd have the stars and stripes standing out. Otherwise, it's not a flag. So they actually put, <laughs> but they use that as their, oh, and then how, what happened to the film crew who filmed them when they took off from the moon and went back? Well, that was Apollo 15. There was a camera on the lunar on the moon buddy module yeah. aimed at themselves. Take I mean anyway. That Listen, we've 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 gone all over. We we've discussed Artemis and yeah. Apollo and Hermes. We've talked about rock art. We've talked about running. It's a, it's a great pleasure to spend time with you. You really are one of the most interesting people in the country. And I, I just absolutely love that you're out there helping other people discover the joys of running. And uh, I, I wish you the best of luck, man. It's yeah, just so nice you. to speak to you. Yeah, and Gareth, well, I would just, you know, you've been praising me, but congratulations for the wonderful work you've done behind the microphone for, I don't know, I remember hearing you once, years and years and years ago. It must have been your first gig. And I thought, who is this person? He's useless. You proved me beautifully wrong. <laughs> no, I'm glad. I'm, you know what? Um, the other thing that I've always said about the comrades, but I have to reconsider. You're the first. It's the first time I've told you this. Is I've always said to people, once that winner crosses the line, the rest of you should just stop and go home. I don't understand why. You no, it's 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 a, an, an incredible experience to just sit there and watch ordinary human beings. So. Unlike me, I chose my parents correctly. Okay, mm. they did. And you watch them all day, the most extraordinary, the bravest, the gutsiest people with the wrong genetics, mm. and they're dragging themselves across that yeah. line with one common enemy, and that's the clock. But anyway, yeah, yeah thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Oh, well. Lovely to see you. And keep, uh, keep it all up, Bruce. We love hearing from you, and we love seeing all the work that you do. Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Cliffcentral.com.